So over the holidays, um, we went down to see my parents, and they were getting rid of some photographs. Uh, they had a lot of photographs, and we're encouraging them to declutter. And, uh, and so I picked up this one that they were getting rid of. And you're thinking to yourself, who is that gorgeous-looking child? Okay, Yeah, she's very ordinary-looking. That is me, age about three and a half. Um, you can see um, from the fringe that my mum was not a hairdresser. Um, yeah, unlike Ryan here. Uh, so she used to have this technique, which was she would get a piece of sellotape and she would stick the whole of the front of the fringe down and then she would cut along the sellotape so it was a nice straight line and then she'd pull it off. I don't know if you've heard of that, technique. Of course, then all the hairs would spring back to all sorts of different lengths and that was that. So that was, um, that was a photo I picked up and here's the next one. This is the one I really wanted to show you. You can see that the, um, the sellotape technique is still being used um, but this, it's a little bit um, fuzzy but this is my sister and I on our first day of school in Australia because when I was nine, we moved to Australia and uh, we trusted our parents enough that, that, that this, was the, this was the uniform for our school. We'd never visited it. We'd been in the country about three days. Um, and also, children in Australia at that time, they didn't take rucksacks. They took these suitcases. And I know they look very sensible. You think, oh, you could stand on that. So that kind of makes sense. But no, they're made of cardboard, these, um, these suitcases. And uh, we trusted our mum that this really was not a joke, but but this was what we were supposed to take. And, um, and so we had to then walk to the bus stop. And uh, it was a very simple route. We went to the end of the road, we turned right, there was the bus stop. But we hadn't done it before. And we hadn't ever caught the bus before. And so there we were, standing at the bus stop. Now this, I'm afraid, isn't a picture of me and my sister at the bus stop, but it was the best I could find. Um, yeah, she's got much better hair and a rucksack. Lucky girl. I'm completely jealous of her right now. Um, but really, the, the point is, I think, that, and I wanted to show you that photo and I wanted to share that memory with you because uh, in a way, just like Barb um, prophesied this morning, something has been happening and, and I think God is taking us to a new place. And I think we have been standing at the bus stop. I think during 2022, we were standing at the bus stop. We were waiting for the bus to come. We were going, God, what are you going to do? Are you going to do something? Please come. And then 2023, it felt like the bus arrived. And we all piled on. And I don't know if you remember that, you know, what we've been through. We had a big, small group which went every week all through 2022. And 2023 arrived and we said, no, we want to establish small groups. We want to dig in. We want to get deeper. Get on the bus. And almost everyone in the room joined a small group. It was amazing, right? It has been amazing. And we had the teaching series. Can anyone remember the first teaching series? It's a little, little uh, pop quiz here. What was the first... New Year's revolution. And so God was saying, no, 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 this isn't a slight adjustment. This is a complete change. And he said, I want you to, to follow this, uh, this teaching. It's very practical. And I want it to be real in your life, this teaching. Um, and then we moved on to another series. Anyone remember? I've given you a little clue. It was in the last sentence. That's right. So then it was be real. And that was hard. That was a hard season because God showed us that, you know, maybe we'd, we hadn't been as real and, and as authentic with him as we thought we had been or with each other. 
And then trust grew and we realized, you know what, we're going to have to take some risks. We're going to have to be open with each other about our stuff that we're dealing with. We're going to have to be real about God and, and are we really taking him at his word? But we were on the bus and we were willing to, to change. And then um, the shift really happened next season after that. Anyone remember? There we go. See, there was a clue. There was a clue. So then it was disciple shift. And we realized that following Jesus was radical, that there was going to be change. And then we moved into, Barb, you said it, Activate. And we said the book of Acts isn't just a historical book of what the first disciples of Jesus did after he'd risen again and ascended into heaven. Actually, there's stuff for us to do. And so we've been on the bus. And I sensed, I guess it was a pastoral picture maybe a prophetic pastoral picture, that God has got something new for us. And this came up in the prayer meeting this morning. You alluded to it last week, Dan, when you preached. You said that we've got some loose ends. We need to tie some stuff up because God's got something for us next. You prophesied it this morning, um, Bob, that actually God's got something really quite new and different. And I think it's an upgrade. Yes, I don't know about you. I don't want to be in dirty dishwater. I want to be in that nice, fresh uh, water ready. Um, so it's an upgrade of a bus, so, let's imagine we're on the school bus, yes, fairly basic. If we were to have an upgrade, what would we want in our upgraded bus? Because I tell you what, cruise control, cruise control okay. <laughs> Air conditioning, so it's cooler, definitely, today. What's that? Snack bar. Reclining chair. Little pull-down um, uh, little table, yes, maybe, maybe screens on the backs, yeah? Okay, so because I believe, spiritually, I seriously believe that God has got an upgrade for us. Amen. And this is it. Are you ready? The walking bus. <laughs> yes, <laughs> he does not want to make us more comfortable and easy. He wants us to get more actively involved. If you've never seen a walking bus, we used to have one by our house when we lived in Bromley, but you'd have an adult at the front in a high-vis jacket, and you have an adult at the back in a high-vis jacket, and when it stopped outside your house, you'd put your children onto it, they'd put on their little jackets, and then they'd walk down the road, and so they'd walk to school on the walking bus. And this was, um, this was a better kind of bus, because it was sustainable. It was in environmentally friendly, yet it was healthy. The children started the day with a health-giving walk, and that does sound a little bit like eat your veg, doesn't it? Um, but they were quite safe, they were surrounded, um, but it took a bit more from them. They had to be intentional, they had to make a bit of effort, it grew strength in them, um, and they had to be actively involved. And I feel like this is a picture of where God is taking us, that we've got Jesus in front of us and we're, we're following him. Yes, God is also behind us and beside us to scoop us up when we go, oh, look, there's a pretty leaf, you know? He'll go, no, no, come back in line, come back in line. But I feel that and I can see, because you're nodding and you're smiling at me, thank you so much, that this is chiming with us, that God has a new way of us to move forward. And it's not to be more comfortable as much as I would really like aircon right now, but it's actually to be more involved in our own discipleship journey. Um, and here's a question for ourselves, which is a bit sobering. Will we commit to it? Will we jump on this bus? We jumped on the bus for this year. Will we get on this next bus that is going to require more from us? And will we trust him enough that he's heading us in a good direction, even though we don't know where that is? When I stood on the bus stop um, in Australia, 
I trusted my mum that it was going to take me to school, that the bus driver would tell me when to get off. But I had to trust. And, I, you know, did I trust enough? Because God has something better for us. Do you believe it? Yes? God does have something better for us. It's not just a, a, a tweak. It's not just that he's going to, like, I don't know, make us a little bit happier. He's got something that is radically better. A bit like um, Moses coming through the desert, and he was promised, a promised land was ahead of him, wasn't it? And he knew that he could endure what he was going through because the promised land was called the promised land because it was promised by God who is good for his promises. So are we going to trust enough? And today um, I want to talk about what it means to trust enough. Trust enough, okay? So we're going to start with... um, uh, a story from scripture, uh, an account, historical account. Um, this will be called Water from the Rock in your Bibles. If you want to turn to Numbers 20, it's going to be on the screen. But if you look it up on your gadget or, there we go, got a big, big fat papery thing in the front. Do you remember those? Um, you, can, you can underline the bits that speak to you. You can make a note in the margin that's for you. So I'd really encourage you, be actively involved as we read. Here we go. So it's Water from the Rock. I'm just going to get some water from my bottle, actually. Here we go. In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh. There, Miriam died and was buried. So Moses is leading the people, and his sister has just died. So what's he experiencing right now? He's experienced loss and grief, and we you know, we know that that brings with it a whole heap of um, focus on that one thing that's going on in your life, and it can be hard to think of other things. But this was the reality that he found himself in. Now, there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. Okay, seems a bit mean, doesn't it, given that he's, he's being bereaved, but there we go. They quarreled with Moses, and they said, if only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Yeah, a bit dramatic. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. So there's a little clue here, and we're going to be unpacking it as we go a little bit. Um, They're not saying, we are dying of thirst, we need water. They're saying, there were things that we want Not necessarily needs. I don't know about you. Pomegranate isn't a regular on my shopping list. But these were not things that they needed. They also needed water. And so God actually addresses that as the the, uh, account unfolds. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly, these people that had gathered and argued, um, to the entrance of the tent of the meeting and fell face down. Okay, oh God. Yes? Do you think that's a good choice? It's a good choice, yes? Circumstances, people are gathering around you. You're feeling overwhelmed. It's just too much. You fall face down before God because you're saying when you fall face down, whether you do it literally or figuratively, emotionally, you're saying, 
what I've got in me isn't enough. Look how weak I am, God. I'm relying completely on you. So that's what they did. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them, as it always does when we completely let go of ourselves. The Lord said to Moses, take the staff and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes and it will, say it will, it will, pour out its water. Yes, pour out its water. The water belongs to the rock. It doesn't belong to Moses. The water was placed there by God. But uh, God is using Moses to let that rock pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community. And so they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the star from the Lord's presence. Yes, that's what he was told to do. Just as he had commanded him, he and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock. Yes, just as God had told them to. And then Moses said to them, had Moses been told to speak to the Israelites? Who had he been told to speak to? To the rock. He'd been told to speak to the rock, but he doesn't. He says, listen, you rotters. Yeah, he doesn't actually say rotters, but that's, you can see, that's what's in the heart. Listen, you rebels. Like, you're dreadful. Must we bring you water out of this rock? Yes, already we can see, as he's kind of diverted, as he's shifted from what God told him to do, where's it coming from? He's grieving, remember. He's had the people that he's desperately trying to lead gather and in opposition to him and argue with him. And so he says, listen, you rotters. And who feels sympathetic with Moses at this point? Yes, we do, don't we? Um, must we bring you water out of the rock? And then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. So what's in his hand when he raises his arm? The staff, okay? So he raises the staff, he strikes the rock twice, and water gushes out. God does what he says he, would, he was going to do. And the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring the community into the promised land. Yeah? And that's the, that's the end of our reading for now. And it seems pretty harsh, doesn't it? What? All he did was this, bash, bash. And, but obviously, when we are looking and interpreting scripture, we must apply critical thinking. We must, we must unpick and we must realize what's going on. Because if we don't apply critical thinking, if we take it at first, uh, at first glance as, as humans and not as God, we go, oh, well, I think God was being a bit harsh there. But given that we know that God is not harsh and punitive, we have to see it differently. So we apply critical thinking to our own interpretation. We don't apply it to the word of God in itself. And by the way, we also apply critical thinking to the word of God versus what we hear from the world. But we don't go, hmm, they're equal. We say, this is what the world says, but this is what the Bible says. And if this is what the Bible says and our interpretation says, oh, that makes God harsh and punitive, then we have to go, no, 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 I'm clearly seeing this wrong. I need to apply critical thinking and I need to apply what I know of the character of God, which is he's slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. So as we look at this, we go, okay, we need to understand what was really going on. And it says to, he says to Moses and Aaron, because you didn't trust me enough to honor me, as holy, you will not bring this community into the promised land. Have you ever thought that that might be a mercy for Moses? We know from the book of Joshua and onwards that Joshua had to do some pretty 
uh, trusting things. He had to walk around Jericho. Was Moses up to that? Or is God actually being completely fair? And I would say, we say absolutely he was because we know our God. He was being completely fair and he was saying, actually, Moses, do you know what? I'm going to have mercy on you. Your faith is not enough to bring my people into the promised land. I'm going to let you view it across the Jordan, but you're not going to bring the people in. I'm going to take pity on you because you don't trust enough. Just like Dan preached last week when Jesus was asking, Peter, could you agape me? And in the end, <laughs> Jesus lowered the bar and he said, well, could you filio me? Yes, could you love me in that way? And I believe, because I know my God, that there's no way that this is just harsh and punitive. This is God having mercy because that's who he is and he cannot act out of character. So we know now that, um, that Moses is not going to enter the promised land with the people because he didn't trust enough. Now, I don't know about you, I am not willing to stay wandering in the desert. In my lifetime, I want to enter the promised land. I want to enter it fully. I am not willing to say, oh, well, I didn't trust enough, so I'm not going to see that. And if you're with me, jump on the walking bus. You know, it's going to take some involvement of us. When Moses stood before the people, why had God told him to take his um, staff? He told him to take his staff because when Moses held on to his staff, he was remembering all that God had done. Look, Moses, inside your heart, if you're holding on to that staff, you'll remember this is the same staff that you used to split the Red Sea, yes? To, to win a battle, to keep the sun shining and win a battle, yes? Because this staff is a reminder to you, not to the people right now. You hold on to what I've done and you speak to that rock. But Moses didn't trust enough in that moment. And um, if we want to enter the promised land, we're going to look today at what it means to trust enough. And we're going to look at three mistakes, if you like, three trust killers that Moses acted on so that we can avoid them. Does that sound good? So this is, a, if you like, a kind of cautionary talk. We want to avoid this. And the three um, ideas, the three trust killers are striking, as in striking the rock, straying, as in not actually doing what God said, but doing something a little bit different. And then stroking, that's going to take a little bit of explaining later down the line, but it also begins with stir, right? So we're going to go a bit Baptist this morning. Striking, straying, and stroking. Um, and we're going to start off looking at striking. So Moses was told to hold the staff and to speak to the rock, but he didn't. So he struck the rock. He lifted that instead of holding it, and he struck the rock. Why? Why did he do that? Because if we don't know why, we can't avoid it. And I would say he was irritable with others, right? He was at his wit's end. We know from earlier on in Numbers that um, this didn't just happen because he was having a bad day. Yes? He wasn't on his mail monthly. He was literally driven to this by these ratbag people, this rabble, these rebels. Earlier on, it says that Moses and, uh, sorry, that Aaron and Miriam went to, to um, Moses and criticized him. It says uh, several times that the people were grumbling in their tents. I don't know about you, but you can sort of tell if someone, if someone you know well has been grumbling about you. Next time they see you, they're like, 
all right. And their mouth is just a bit tight. You think, yeah, you've been grumbling about me. I know I'm irritating you. Um, but they've been grumbling in their tents, and of course he knew it. It says uh, it's several times throughout Numbers that the people gathered in opposition, that they argued, that they grumbled and complained. And so he is like, he's at his wit's end. But you know, when he lifted that and said, you're annoying me, so I'm hitting... He was acting out of irritability. He was acting out of his feelings, wasn't he? And we need to avoid that. This is what God says. If you're worried that people are, um, people are irritable and they deserve the retribution that you're just about to bring down on them, it says this, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Don't you love that? You are not my problem. You are God's. For it is written, it is mine, that's God's, not mine, to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Um, so he was irritable and secondly he was also overwhelmed because sometimes when we are when we're striking we're doing it not because we're angry and aggressive but actually we're just we're just desperate we don't know what to do we are overwhelmed by by the pressures of the moment and of course we know Moses yes he did what God said he got flat on his face because we know that's right he went out and he took the staff and that was right and he gathered the people and that was right and then he spoke irritably to the people because in that moment he got overwhelmed and I don't about you I've done it I did it this week I knew what I was supposed to do but did I do it no because in the moment I got overwhelmed and I did something different than the good thing that I had planned to do so planning to do the right thing isn't enough because we can get overwhelmed in the moment and uh, uh, in the word of God it says that we should be strong and courageous yes strong and courageous that means we can be assertive but we must not be aggressive we need to be strong and courageous, strong and courageous to obey God. And in fact, in the first verse of Joshua, when Joshua is the new leader over the people of Israel, in one chapter, he says to Joshua four times, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. This is an instruction to us today. Be strong and courageous. If we're going to be following Jesus, if we're going to be obeying him, if we're going to trust him enough, then we need to be strong and courageous not to be independent, not to take things into our own hands and be aggressive, but strong and courageous enough to trust him enough that he is going to lead us into the promised land. Thanks, darling. Big button. I'm going to go on. So our next point is straying. So we've looked at striking and straying. Moses took his problems to God. Good. Then he took matters into his own hands. Bad, yes? On the face of it, it seems harsh, but we can, we can, if we use our imagination, if we use what we know of God, then we can say it wasn't harsh, it was realistic. There we go. Um, so, obedience, which is what was asked of Moses, it comes with trust. And in fact, obedience is a demonstration of trust. It's an outward expression. Trust, if you like, is sort of, if you like, it's a feeling, isn't it? You can't really quite pin it down. Do you trust enough? Do you not trust enough? But you know whether you've obeyed or not. And Moses knew better than anyone that trust and obedience was essential 
for what he did. In fact, if you look, if you read in Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, it's all, there's, there's very tight rules, very tight laws, if you like. You're going to eat in this particular way. You're going to wear clothes in this particular way. You're going uh, to wash in this particular way. So many tight rules, not because actually God is like that. He's a, not a nitpicky um, micromanager, but people needed to learn and Moses needed to learn if I'm just following you, I just need to take the next step. I just need to obey that next little thing that you're asking of me. And um, the old law demanded that minute obedience, not because God is nitpicky, but because if you are trained in minute obedience, then when the big things come, your heart is already there. Um, and Moses knew the centrality of obedience. It says that he was the greatest leader. The most is written about Moses. But it also says that he was the humblest man. And if you're told you might be, you know, doing a great big thing, lots of people here have kind of big important jobs and you, you look after lots of people and people tell you what to do. But if each step of the way, you're just doing what God says by, by Jove, <laughs> that, will, um, that will make you humble, right? Because you're just doing what the master is telling you to do. Um, and you might say, oh yeah, that's the old covenant, you know, they had to do minute obedience. In the new covenant, Jesus has been the fulfillment of the old covenant, and therefore, we don't do minute obedience again. But don't we? When Jesus taught about uh, adultery, of course, don't commit adultery. But then he said, but actually, even if you just look at someone, so the obedience isn't now less, it's actually more minute, it's more precise. And I'm not saying that, you know, if you're asking what God's will is on every tiny little thing, that that's the right thing to do. Dear Jesus, should I write my post-it to Adam about laundry in blue pen or black pen? Jesus, tell me. You know, we're not talking about that, but I am measuring it up against, would it be loving to, get, to ask him to take the laundry out? Yeah, that's all right, that's loving. We're in a partnership, this is good. Yes, I am minutely applying even the small things. Am I doing this out of selfishness? Am I doing this out of irritability? Am I overwhelmed? Why am I doing this? We are applying obedience to God minutely to his law, which is to love God and love people. So it's still necessary. In fact, um, Jesus, said, uh, Jesus said this, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Obedience is necessary. Peter said, we must obey God rather than people. You know, are we led by what will please the people around us or what will please God? And that can be a really hard one. When you've got someone really needy phoning you up and saying, can you help me? And you think, the Jesus thing would be to drop everything because that's what they want me to do. And then you think, actually, no, the Jesus bit in me is relational, not Levitical. And God is saying, actually, you need to let that person do their thing. Yes, and sometimes it's not always the right thing to do the, do the dramatic thing. It's sometimes it's just the right thing to listen to God and say, in the detail of this situation, what are you asking of me? That's not to say that we don't act sacrificially. We do that as well. And then Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And we know that his commandments are love God, love people. And so that's what we do. We keep in step with the Holy Spirit. We walk by faith and not by sight. And I think this is probably one of the biggest pitfalls to experienced Christians. You know, Moses was an experienced Christian, if you like, pre-Christ, but you know, he was an experienced God follower. He'd seen lots of successes. 
He kind of knew how to do this. He knew how to bring water. I'm sure he brought water out of other things in the past, didn't he? He knew what to do. He knew how to stop a plague. Yeah, kind of, I've got this. I'll do it like this. Actually, Jesus, oh God, uh, the Father, I think, uh, I think actually you've said speak to the rock, but I think the people need a visual. So I'll give them a visual and I'll strike it as well. You know, as experienced Christians, those who, who, would, who would think that they were experienced Christians, this can be the biggest um, pitfall to not straying, is to think, I've done it before and I can do it again, but this time maybe with a bit less of you. Yes, you do trust God in general, but are you trusting God enough in the specifics of this situation that you are facing today, despite all the, all the spiritual glories of the past? Yeah? We need to trust enough to obey. So this brings me on to the third trust killer. And this, I know, you're looking at me, I have no idea where you're going with this through. This is a subconscious one. This is one that I don't think Moses meant to do, and I don't think we meant to do, but I think this is a real corporate trust killer. And it's the idea of, um, it happens in our subconscious, that Moses allowed his problems to limit his vision of where God was taking him in his own discipleship journey. Yes? So what Moses did was he, if you like, stroked his problems. He didn't say, this is what the people are like, but God, it's yours to avenge, you will repay, and put it down over there. Instead, he carried that hurt, that sense of betrayal, that sense of uh, being hard done by, perhaps even the self-pity, and he stood before the people, and he stroked that instead of ridding, ridding, Ridding himself? Ridding, ridding himself of that. And I think we can do this. And this is, you know, maybe a, you know, a difficult thing to hear. You know, we, we do have our grumbles as people, don't we? We grumble about this and that. Oh, God, I could really kill for a pomegranate right now. Or, you know, I could really kill for another thousand pounds in my bank account. You know, I could really use that. Obviously, I'd give 10% back to you, but... The other 900, you know, that'd be useful. I'll have that, please. And God is saying, you don't actually need that. You know, are we trusting God to know what we need versus what we really, really want? And I don't know that we are. And do we sometimes come to church and think, rather than think, go, arriving at church and thinking on your way uh, out of the car park and thinking, do you know what, today I'm struggling with this, I'm going to join the prayer line I'm doing that because I need prayer about this. Or do we go, do you know what? I really need someone nice to listen to my problem this morning. And if they say to me, okay, come here, let me listen. All right, let's pray. And lays hands on you. You're like, oh, I thought you were just going to listen, actually. I wasn't, I wasn't coming for prayer. <laughs> I was just telling you. But we are a community of faith. Do we trust enough to do this? In, the, in small group this week, we looked at the the scripture where it said we need to move beyond the elemental teaching such as laying on of hands. When's the last time you invited someone to lay hands on you and to pray for you about your problem? And if you're not comfortable with someone actually literally laying hands on you, you know, we can do the four inches between. That's not a problem. Yeah. But this is where God is calling us to, to get involved in that journey of traveling into the promised land, of, of fully experiencing what he wants us to experience. Because let me ask you this. Do you trust God? You say, I go to church. 
Are you walking with God? Step by small step. Are you walking with God? You say, well, I go to church. I walk with him at least once a week. Are you free from sin? I go to church. Are you triumphing over all life's challenges? Well, I go to church. Do you have enough resource that you can manage your responsibilities and still have enough to share with the poor? I go to church. I use the beat machine. Do you have peace? Like Fabiano described in the offering talk. I said, well, I go to church. But this is, this is what God wants for us. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to walk with him. Walking is a fantastic thing because um, I love to walk and my family not so keen. Adam because of his knees and my other children because they're teenagers and there's something happens on their 12th birthday and then they start whining when you say, let's go for a walk. I don't know if, if parents are teenagers, you recognize this, yes? They used to love it. And maybe they will love it again, but there's a few years where they just don't like it. But I believe that I'm like Jesus because Jesus said, follow me. He said, walk with me, didn't he? And in fact, Jesus, uh, God, when he made uh, the Garden of Eden, he made humanity, he made Adam and Eve to walk with him. Enoch in the Old Testament, it says, he walked with God until he was no more. And if you walk with God step by step through your life, you can be like Enoch because you stay that close to God. You'll start to look like him. You know married couples, they end up looking a little bit like each other once they've spent so much time together because they kind of use the same facial expressions and somehow they look like each other. And when we walk so closely with God, we will end up looking like him and walking with him straight into heaven. Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand, as the children taught us at rock camp, uh, at, um, at summer camp, summer camp. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, and I want it. Do you want it? Do you want to trust God? Do you want to walk with him? Do you want to triumph over your problems? Do you want to have enough resource to manage your responsibilities and share with the poor? Do you want to have peace? I want that. And we've been asking ourselves the wrong questions. Am I comfortable? Where's the aircon? Am I entertained? Where's the screen? Where can I put my drink? Where's the pull-down tray? I've got to put it by my feet where I might kick it over during worship? Is the car park comfortable enough for you? Is this a better question? Yes, is the coffee good enough? Is it as good as you have at home? These are the wrong questions and we know it, yes. We want to be asking ourselves the right questions, but we need to trust enough, don't we? We don't want to stroke. We don't want to just sympathize when, you, you know, when we come in and we complain about a week. Grumbling. There's a difference, by the way, between grumbling and groaning. Yes, the people grumbled and they grumbled about Moses. And actually Moses says, you're not complaining against me. You're complaining against God and what he said that you need versus what you think that you want. But groaning, Jesus groaned in the Garden of Eden. He said, Father, you know, I am suffering here to the point of death. Yes? All creation is groaning, waiting for Jesus to come back. But that's talking to God. Moses, he fell on his face and he groaned before God when the people complained about a lack of water. Groaning before God is good. Sharing our burdens with one another is good, but it leads to the laying on of hands and the praying and the walking together into the promised land, into peace, into overcoming. 
So let's pursue maturity. That's what First Wednesday is all about. We loved Big Small Group. Every single one of those meetings. But we feel God is calling us onto a new thing. And it's more like a walking bus and less like an aircon bus. And that means, yes, we're going to dig ourselves out of our homes at six o'clock or we're going to rush home from work and just grab a sandwich on the way. Because actually the maturity is what we want. We want to walk with God into the promised land, don't we? And here's the great news. God has given us free choice. He is not wrestling us in line Deuteronomy was written by Moses, who also wrote that he wrote all five of the first books of the Bible. But I, I've just read through the Pentateuch, and I think Leviticus talks about all these laws. Numbers repeats all the laws, and then Deuteronomy does as well. I'm like, why, Moses, did you write Deuteronomy? You'd already written them twice. But the whole of Deuteronomy is a picture of regret. Moses appeals to the people to say, don't do what I do. Trust enough to enter the promised land because these are all the things that God requires of you. But so many times in Deuteronomy, Moses sets out before the people and he says, this is what you must do. And he says, I set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life that you may live. Yes, we have to choose and God lets us choose. And I tell you, he is worthy of our trust. He's worthy of our trust. He wants to walk with you. If you invite him, he will walk with you. And in fact, he's not, you're not inviting him to walk wherever it was that you fancy. You're saying, I'm going to walk with you. He wants to set you free from sin. He wants you to triumph over your difficulties. He wants you to have enough resource. He wants you to have peace. Yeah? So... Do we have enough trust? Are we ready to apply some elemental teaching? Elementary teaching, yeah? Because this morning, I'm not going to invite you to come up and be prayed for if this message has spoken to you. I really pray that it has. I so do. I'd like us to pray for one another. I'm thinking maybe groups of three. Um, I've got a few little notes there this is what we're praying for each other for I think if we could move in a moment into threes and actually let's take it in turns if you've got three in your group if they're comfortable lay hands on that person and pray this over them that they will be able to do these things and that they will trust enough and then move on to the next person by the way if you don't want to be prayed for it's perfectly fine just say pass and everyone will be absolutely fine with that and just you know stand and experience the moment but let's get into threes. Let's do this fundamental elementary practice of laying hands on each other and praying and we will receive something new from God. So yeah, find, a, find another couple of people and let's take a few moments to pray.